Hey, what's going on, everybody? New podcast, Rit Talk, episode one, uh, with an individual named Carson Hess. He's the co-founder of Development AI. Go check out his website at developmentai.net to learn more. You can check him out on Instagram at, at Carson underscore Hess. Um, cool podcast. We talk about his business. We talk about him quitting it all, giving up the idea of corporate America to pursue something that he f- uh, finds fulfillment in, which is really, really cool. The back half of the podcast, we talk about uh, Blue Bell Jiu-Jitsu and the struggles of Jiu-Jitsu in general, which uh, is always awesome to talk about. Love talking theory and love always learning from new people. So that's about it. More content to come. Listen to Routinely Off Topic. Uh, Shout out to Splash CBD for sponsoring our podcasts. Go over to SplashCBD.net. Use the promo code ROUTINELY15 and uh, get 15% off all CBD products off your purchase. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, Like I said, I hope you all enjoy the podcast. More to come. Thanks for everything. Let's talk Blue Bell Jiu-Jitsu. Blue Bell Jiu-Jitsu. Well, first episode ever. Rit Talk. I'm your host, David Josh Rittenauer. I got my boy Carson Hayes here out from Boston to give me the fist pump. Mm-hmm. More than proud to be my my first guest for this. Super proud. Yeah, for this uh, podcast. Me crazy. Um, yeah, super interesting, though, just the whole development AI. Like, we can jump into that a little bit if you want or not. Uh, we can even do the jiu-jitsu piece first. But yeah. I, I am baffled by the fact that you're just like ah fuck everything let's start this biz is that really what happened it's definitely a little bit more complicated than that there was a lot more thought that went into it oh yeah 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 um but i understand why on the surface it looks kind of like a crazy decision and um you know a lot of the people that i worked with also thought that it was a crazy decision Mm -hmm. but to the people that i was closest with the reaction was pretty much congratulations you know um I knew that I wanted to be a full-time entrepreneur in the real estate space in some capacity since I was 19. Um, I'm now 25, but basically when I was 19, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad while I was delivering pizzas and as a full-time mechanical engineering student and realized that I wanted to be a full-time investor in the real estate space and because that's the only way that I was ever going to accomplish my financial goals. And as a result, spent a lot of time between 19 and 24 trying to figure out what that looked like. Yeah. And so took some detours and, and worked in construction management for a little bit after I got my degree out in Denver and then out in Boston. And, um, from that, by the time I turned about 24, I realized that I did not want to keep working the corporate life and resolved on my 24th birthday, June 25th, 2019, that by June 25th, 2020, I would be a full-time entrepreneur. So, had no idea it was going to happen or how it was going to happen rather, yeah. but ended up leaving my job May 18th and it's been the best three months of my life so far. So you did mechanical engineering and then you graduated and you started with a construction company. Yep. Yeah. And then, yep. so I have a lot of opinions on corporate. Same. And, uh, <laughs> some might not get fully addressed in this podcast just sure. to due to my current standings. But, uh, Give me give me some examples of like the things that really like made you aware like hey I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, the biggest thing that really trapped my ass more than anything was the fact that I was sort of the de facto leader of my team that was managing about 130 million dollars worth of work. Okay. As starting as like a 22, 23 year old, and was running circles around people that had much more experience than me, um, that were much older than me, you know, 40s, 50s, that by all 
standard measures um, should have been outperforming me and teaching me how to do things. Yep. But then when I went to go have this sort of conversation with my employer about like, you know, I'm not being compensated fairly and here's the value that I'm bringing to the table, their default response was always that you don't have enough experience. And so a couple of things happened. Like I was rejected from a couple of um, industry programs because I didn't have enough experience. One example was the American Public Transportation Association, their Emerging Leaders Program. I got rejected from that, despite the fact that I had a letter of recommendation from the CEO of my former employer that is like a 30,000 person company. Someone that I knew personally. I personally knew the CEO. I personally knew the VP of rail. Um, had a great relationship with everybody that I worked with, even on the client side. We were working with the fifth largest transportation authority in the entire United States at the time in the MBTA. And I got rejected from this program because I didn't have three years of work experience. But that, that being is said, crazy. I was working 10, 12 hours a day, sometimes more. A lot of times working Saturdays and Sundays. And you're salaried, I assume. Oh, yeah. 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 Trying to... And the whole time that I was salaried, the whole reason that I was trying so hard to be good at this job um, number one, I did enjoy it, especially when I first started out at it. Um, but the whole reason that I was trying to do better at it was because I was always trying to save up money to then funnel into business ventures like real yeah. estate. That's what I assumed when you said you were in college and you said you always want to get into real estate. That yeah. is always the smart idea of, you know, I'm gonna make money and then I'm gonna start like my home base and I'm gonna start buying yeah. other properties and just building that up. Yeah. Every I feel like a lot of people have that goal and then it just yeah. gets derailed somehow. Yeah. It's the it's the risk mitigation factor. Like that was the least risky path in my mind of how to get to that ultimate goal. Yeah. Um but so that was one experience that happened. The second one was that the company had an internal um program through Bridges to Prosperity to like go to somewhere somewhere outside of the United States and help build footbridges for underserved communities that had to like walk through, I mean, I shit you not, like tight like tight ropes to get across like raging rivers down the below or or canyons or whatever the case wow. might have been. Yeah. So that you can connect these communities. And I've also done a lot of work with Engineers Without Borders. And at the time I was the president of the Boston Professional Chapter, had a lot of experience within the region, the Northeast region of Engineers Without Borders, had led projects with Engineers Without Borders in college. And so by all means I should have been a great candidate for this because mm-hmm. I had the experience I understood how to um, lead a team through that sort of thing. And again, I was rejected from an internal company program because they wanted somebody that had been with the company for a year. I've been with the company for 11 months and I got rejected. And so that was one thing. And then when I went to go actually have the conversation with my employer about like, hey, I'm not being compensated fairly. The response, like I said, was just tenure, you know? And by this time I was so sick of hearing that word tenure that I asked my boss point blank, I'm like, at what point does it stop being about how many years I have experience and start being about the value that I bring to the table? Yep. And he didn't have an answer for me. And it was around that same time that I met my now business partner. And, um, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But, you know, that's when things really started to sour. And I started to really resent my job a lot because I just felt like I was getting taken advantage of. And, uh, yeah, so I guess I can elaborate on this a little bit just because whatever um so in in public accounting you get you get really good raises because it's such a just a fast-moving environment and like they know that they want to keep you and the best way to keep you is with money because you're working crazy hours Mm -hmm. and now i wasn't i was probably more of like a nine to ten hours a day and then you know there's definitely the week or two weeks where i'd have to you know pull 12s and uh not really big fan of working weekends so i'd put it during the (laughs) week I need the two days to reset really bad. I feel you, man. Um, but so then I went to this new job and 
you know, I started out the gate strong, started performing, I started performed super, super well. And then when I get to my review, they're like, Hey, here's your standard raise that we give everybody else. But you know, we'll let you know, not, not like it was 1% higher than what they give everybody else. Oh my God. And then they go, Hey, that's exceptional work. Like you're doing great work and this is the best we can do. And to me, it was just kind of a slap in the face because I took For a, sure. because also I took a slight pay cut to come there because they told me that, um, you know, I didn't have finance experience. I had accounting experience. And then I get up there to the plate in the game and it's just like, this is just as easy as accounting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so then I, yeah, I started to really resent my job and now like I'm to the point now where I'm like comfortable with it just because I, that's the situation I put myself in. Like I kind of, if I'm going to be at this job, I kind of have to do that. I just, yeah. I make all the decisions for myself in my life for sure. And, uh, but that really, that really hurt. And then they were like, yeah, Hey, we want you to start like mentoring people. We want you to start, mm-hmm. you know, becoming lead and all this stuff. And, uh, I go, okay, well let's say I do my exceptional work that I already do. And then I'm the Kobe Brown of mentoring <laughs> and yeah. I make another one of me in a year. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that the same raise you gave me last time? Or is that, you know, like a, like a percent more, 2% like quantum more? Yeah. jump. Yeah. Or you get like, what's the scale? Like what's yeah. my incentive? And then they couldn't tell me that. And yeah. then it really chapped me too. It was just like, I know people that have been there for years or a decade older, older than me that can, uh, you know, they could come in at a higher compensation rate and most likely their raise was closer to mine just because of yeah. that. You know, if someone makes 10 grand more than me, that 1% is less than that. So it's, And then not to mention the fact that it gets taxed and it, you know, it, how much that 1% yeah. are you actually seeing. And that's why I think in, we can even go kind of broad on this, is yeah. like the civil unrest in the in the world is because everyone I think feels stuck because me, what I would be, what I'm supposed to be doing is just be like, well, that's my job. And then like do the, do whatever it takes to make other people happy. And then, you know, just waste away. And hopefully I can like create a life for myself. Yeah. Other hand, I just go, you know, this is, is what it is. And like, I don't really see like an end game here, you know, so let's rip podcast. Let's like, you know, yeah, you know, I have a lot more to offer than just being good at finance and accounting. Yeah, I mean, a job is essentially a means to an end, you know. Yeah, and it works really well for some people, and it doesn't work really well for other people. And you know, if I'd had that conversation with my employer, and I didn't have in the back of my mind that I wanted to be a full time entrepreneur, then I would have just gotten a different job, and yeah. I could have gotten that pay bump that I wanted. But the fact of the matter is that the problem that I really had was not really with my employer; it was just with W two employment in general, mm. and the fact that. I wanted to be in more control of my own schedule. I knew that I had the skill set necessary to get a business off the ground and I wanted to go do it. And mm-hmm. worst case scenario, if it didn't work, I could just come back, you know, or do something different. Yeah, I the the accounting and finance world, I was looking at um what's it called? Oh, it's cracking me up right now. What is it? What is it? Freelance. I was looking at freelance yeah. work. And, you know, that is definitely an avenue. But again, it's not like sustained income. So you have to go, you have to right. be comfortable with the ability to go, hey, yeah, you know, I might not find a job yeah. this week. So I'm not to the spot yet where I'm like ready to make that jump. Yeah. But I've definitely have contemplated that just because I feel like I, I, I feel like I'd be more engaged helping a smaller like like landscaping yeah. company help their books out than, you know, feed into the black void that is corporate America. Yeah. 
And I'd imagine yeah. too, like working at a bigger firm, you know, you get much more siloed into particular tasks. Whereas working for a smaller company, you're able to get exposed to a lot of different other things, you know, and people mm -hmm. wear multiple hats within the organization. Yeah. And I was actually like looking at other jobs and just, just applying to see like what's out there. And, uh, this one, this one gig was really cool just because it was, there, it wasn't, it was smaller in the sense of where I'm working now, but I would mm -hmm. have, I'd wear more hats. Right. And, you know, being that involved might, you know, excite me a little bit more for at least while I'm at work. For sure. Yeah. I, it just stinks because this is the thing that I have the opposite thing of what happened uh, to you when you were like, say, 19. So like when I was graduating, <laughs> high school was I always wanted to be like a successful businessman, right? Yeah. I wanted to be the guy that like ran the show, like, you know, CEO, CFO, whatever. Yeah. And uh, then I get to the show and it's like I see the anxiety. I see the dread. I see mm -hmm. the constant like pressure that's involved with dealing with the politics and the different messaging to different people. And uh, yeah. it just didn't seem it doesn't seem worth it. Yeah. So now when I like when I lay in bed at night, I'm like staring at the ceiling. It's just like I have to f like figure out how to let go of that childhood dream, essentially. Mm -hmm. And it's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. Or but, you just got to figure out what the next dream is, you know, or yeah. adjust. The thing is with like setting goals and with dreaming and stuff is that it's OK to set and it's good to set some sort of vision that's longer term. Yeah. But the thing is, is that as you move closer towards it it gets higher resolution of what that image actually looks like and in your case where you wanted to be a successful business person and be sort of the top of the food chain as far as like a c-suite executive that vision that vision had a certain resolution then as you got into the show it became higher resolution you realize oh that's not actually what i want to do right yeah so then it's a matter of like course adjusting and figuring out you know maybe it's not a cfo or or ceo but maybe it's like you know um business development executive or something different that is more sorted to your disposition and towards the things you actually want to do. And that is, uh, that is definitely like the process that I'm taking nowadays. Yeah. Like, like with, with all of the bumps in the road with doing this podcast, I, I took it as like a, a side hustle. Yeah. And now it's still a side hustle, but it's like what I would like to try to grow eventually one yeah. day. And, um, just because, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine like what it's good. What would it take out of me to get to that position where I thought I would want to be when I was like 18 or 19. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I could just imagine just dreading it. Just, Oh yeah. You know, I make $700,000 a year, but you know, you know, my yeah. wife hates me. I'm never home. I don't have kids. Like my kids also just gets never taxed see me. at an insane rate. That's the other part about W2 employment yeah. is you just get destroyed on your taxes. Yeah, and then didn't they didn't they say they wanted to like raise our taxes to like help pay for something? Probably. New? I mean, yeah, yeah. It's like just they're always trying to raise taxes instead of just you know fixing a budget. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, yeah. As a as a guy who works with budgets all the time, when one's bad and you ask the why, it is just the worst trying to mm -hmm. figure that out. Yep. Yeah. So uh, tell me about Development AI. So Development AI is a software company that well, we're a platform for real estate development. Okay. And what that means is a couple different things. Number one is we provide a lot of context and insight around what sort of development is taking place. So that's things like looking at zoning board of appeals data and saying which projects are getting approved or denied and why they're getting approved or denied. Showing like which neighbors show up in support or in opposition to projects. That way, if you're a developer, you're not potentially running into a landmine with a certain property that has a problematic person next door. Um, and Ooh. similarly, conversely showing what neighbors are supportive of development. So you can go and try to engage them first and make them key stakeholders in your project. Um, similarly, we provide a lot of insight on zoning. Mm -hmm. So things like I saw that 
zoning and tax classification, like how the land is currently being used. So if you wanted to say, for example, find all the single families or pieces of residential land that are in a particular three family zone in say Dorchester, which is a neighborhood in Boston, then it's as easy as clicking a couple of buttons and all 300 or so of them show up. That is crazy. Um, in Boston, our biggest value add has been this sort of zoning data, like this sort of insight on what things get approved and denied. Yeah. And Boston's a little bit unique compared to the suburbs that surround it in the sense that almost every project needs a zoning variance to get a building permit. Now, what does zoning variance mean? Yeah. So when you apply for a building permit to go and like, say you were going to build this building. Okay. You have the land. Um, you want to submit it for a building permit so you can actually go break ground and actually build the structure. Mm-hmm. You submit those building plans to the inspectional services department at Cranberry Township, where we're recording this. And the Cranberry Township building inspector will look at the plans and check it against the zoning code. So it's like, number one, is the use permitted? Like, are you allowed to build a multifamily dwelling on this particular piece of land based on a zoning map that's usually represented in a PDF? So right there alone, like, PDF zoning maps are very difficult to understand and read because they have, like, 50 different colors representing each of these different zones. A lot of times they're not even oriented correctly. And so what we do first in areas that don't have a sort of online or GIS viewer for zoning is we have software that is able to extract latitude and longitude out of the PDF, overlay it onto Google Maps, so you can just very quickly see what zone you're actually in. Oh, okay. So that's step one, and and that's just making sure that the use is allowed, um, which can also be a variance. If the report on the zoning comes back and says, hey, multifamily is not allowed in here, you can apply for a zoning variance to try and get a five- or seven-member board to say they can actually build it here based on a certain set of circumstances, often involving how... Um, upset or not upset your neighbors are about the project okay so let's just say for example like i wanted to switch it from like what industrial to residential Mm -hmm. would that be like a variance essentially depends on the zoning code but yeah in some places so like what let's just say there's also like like would i have to go to like uh all like to say the business owners or like the factory owners in that area and go hey like would you guys be okay with that that's a typical process yeah yeah that'd be tough yeah i'm sure everyone likes to put up a fight too or there's always that one person Right. Yeah. The way it works in Boston is very interesting because, like I said, you know, zoning variances get handed out in Boston kind of like candy on Halloween. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of other cities, especially ones that surround Boston, they're extremely difficult to get. Hmm. And, um, you know, our value add in cities that are that are mostly by right, which means that you conform with the zoning code and don't need any sort of variance is that sort of digitized zoning viewer overlaid with the visualization of how the different parcels are currently being used and then identifying opportunities for upzoning that way. If you're a developer, it's super neat. Yeah. Like when you were, when I w- went through your website, I was like, this is a crazy, like I, when you, when most people are like, Hey, I started my own business. It's like, Hey, like, yeah, what are you doing? You're selling, like, do you buy a gas station or like you're selling, uh, I don't know, makeup to somebody. You're yeah. like, no, I have a software that like, you know, can help people figure out how to, you know, construct their own uh, buildings and stuff. That's just crazy. And I got to give a huge amount of credit to my business partner, Kevin, because the guy is just a fucking savage at coding and business. I was going to say he had to be an IT guy. I would not be where I am today if I didn't meet him. So extremely grateful for him and for the company every single day. So how'd you run into that guy? So we met at a meetup actually. So while you did a meetup? Yeah. Oh man. I've been going to meetups for a long time now in Boston. And actually have my own out there um, with a couple of buddies. I might have to actually start going on that app. 
Yeah. Because it looks pretty cool, but yeah, it's also kind of sketchy. You're like, hey, let's meet up with a bunch of strangers and, I don't know, play chess. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really <laughs> super into the chess ones, but yeah. for real estate, because really your network in real estate is your net worth in real estate, meaning okay. that like, yep. you really need to understand who's in, involved in the game um, to be successful at the game. You know, you need to know who the contractors are. You need to know other investors in case you run into some sort of issue. And um, from that perspective, networking in real estate is everything. And so recognizing like this all happened like around the same time as that sort of negotiation with my employer and mm-hmm. with my 24th birthday where, you know, figuring that I wanted to be some sort of entrepreneur by the time I was 25, thinking that real estate was going to be the way because that's the only way that I envisioned since I was 19, I started going to real estate meetups all the time. And one of the first ones that I went to um, after having set that goal for myself was the one where I met Kevin at, mm-hmm. where basically he started talking to me about this project that at the time was basically that sort of digitized zoning viewer integrated in with the use tables to say like if I wanted to build a multifamily on this parcel of land is that allowed or not and when he explained that to me I was like that's the coolest thing I've ever heard of in my life and how can I help you and so we just kept meeting up and a couple months before that so back in March um, a couple months before my 24th birthday I had saved up enough money that to the point that I invested in a ground up condo development project just outside of Boston. Okay. And I invested in it. This is terrible for, this is like the, you would never want to do this as an investor, but I invested <laughs> primarily for the relationship Okay. as opposed to the return. I didn't really care about getting the money back. But the, the reason that I invested was because I wanted to like essentially meet and, and build a relationship with this developer. And so flash forward to October. So between March and October, when I had invested in this project, when I met Kevin, who do you think was the first developer I went to with this project? It was that guy that I invested with, right? So like it worked out perfectly. And then by the time it got to about December, we were meeting up with this guy pretty regularly. And from the first meeting that we had with him, it was obvious that we were onto something. Like we didn't really know quite what it was, but he was throwing out figures when we were asking like, how much would a service like this be worth to you? He was throwing out figures that made it like very lucrative for us to go after. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, holy shit, there's a lot of opportunity here. But like also that's just one person's perspective. So how do we get more developers? The guy that, um, just taking another step back. So I bought my house in September, a house just outside of Boston. Okay. Um, and the guy that was my agent is also an investor, but also works as a financial modeler for a bigger development company. So he was the second person that we talked to and he didn't necessarily see as much value as the first person, but granted he worked for a larger developer. Whereas this, this first guy was with a smaller development firm. Yeah. But from there, we just started opening up the network to like, who else can we figure out who to talk to? And so like, that's where my meetup came in, the meetup that I have with my two friends back in Boston and the meetups that I was going to regularly with now with Kevin, where we're trying to meet other developers and pitch them this idea and try to figure out what a product's going to look like. Fast forward to about January or February, we have a product. We flash forward to March. We're still meeting with developers and it becomes obvious, like just always reaffirming that this is something that we should definitely pursue. Mm Mm-hmm. And so Kevin quit his job around mid-March, like around the same time that Trump shut down travel to Europe when COVID really was becoming a big deal. And then I quit my job in um, May. We officially incorporated in April and things have been going great so far. That's crazy to think about too, is that, you know, if and when this all becomes a huge success and, you know, I'm flying out to talk to you again because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're going to be too busy even to, even to deal with no, anybody no such thing as being oh, too busy man i i believe it i believe it, it's possible but you can make everything work yeah but uh 
yeah, it's just like, remember that time you tried to start this business during COVID? Yeah. Because, like, you know, it's almost probably a perfect storm in a sense. It too, really was, actually. You could, because the developers didn't have the work because everything was probably shut down and paused. So they were like willing to have conversations with you and like explore yeah. this new idea. It's pretty crazy how it worked out, actually. Um, there was part of us that was definitely kind of shitting our pants a little bit when this started going down. Oh, yeah. Because there's just so much uncertainty, right? <laughs> when you um, start your own business, of course. Yeah, that coupled with like nobody's ever seen a pandemic before, right? Um, so that was hugely uncertain. You know, the first couple of meetings that we had with developers after Kevin had quit his job, these guys that we thought had in, we had in the bag for like huge five figure sales were all of a sudden like, eh, I don't know. You know, we're going to wait and see how this thing plays out. <laughs> And we're just like, oh, shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But we ended up making a couple of sales pretty early on. And, um, you know, we've still had a lot of really good traction to date. And to your point, though, about how COVID has impacted us, you know, number one is that leaving our full-time jobs to start a company in the middle of a total pandemic recession, mm-hmm. it's just part of the story. You know, yeah. um, it's something that we can tell investors and tell potential clients and even just for our own sort of um, business acumen. Like we started this during an extremely uncertain time and we are successful at it so far. Um, the second part of that is that it really helped on the sales side of things, because whereas previously we were going to physically meet with developers who are hard enough to get meetings with as it is, let alone taking up like two, three hours of, that, of their time yep. to get dinner, get lunch, whatever. Um, being able to meet with like two or three a day to then saying, hey, let's hop on the Zoom call for 30 minutes mm-hmm. so that way we can meet with 8 to 10 of you a day. That just accelerated everything. And it's at the point now where it's like, do we even really need to meet with people in person? Like, not really, you know? No. Not I mean, really. Yeah, you don't have to fly out anywhere or do anything. You no. can just... Yeah, that's the cool part about what's happened with COVID is that, yeah. you know, the, the meetings have changed forever. Yeah. I, um, good example is like where I work now everything's still online Mm -hmm. even though we probably could all be in a room together and do it it's just now easier for all of us to pop on real quick instead of like sprinting around to a to b yeah but i think it also has to be balanced with especially like in a sales role like i definitely believe in the person-to-person interaction oh yeah and you have to be able to build that relationship it's like we still do meet with people in person but it's just not nearly as often you know Mm -hmm. um but that is really what helps take that sort of sales really that sort of client relationship to the next level once you start meeting with them in person yeah it's just uh, being in person's everything to me. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I'm the type of guy that, you know, I'll hop on an elevator with somebody and have a full conversation with them going up you yeah. know, 10 stories and then be like, hey, I'll never see you again. Yeah. You know, it's just, I hear you. It just, like, and then you can go back to like your cube or whatever and just like, oh, that was a cool guy. Yeah. Like, you just move on with your life. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do too is uh, if I know somebody that, like, the, the classic scenario is when someone quits their job. And, you know, like your friends or like, you know, acquaintances, just work buddies. And you're like, oh, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up or something like that. And me, I'm yeah. the type of guy that's like, hey, you know, you have a good life. Like <laughs> if we ever see each other again, like that's dope. But like, you know, I just want to tell them here for you. Yeah. You know, have a good one. And yeah. Like, I, I, it always cracks them up because they don't even realize it in the moment that there's a really good chance we may just never see each other again. Yeah. Because life's fast. It's uncomfortable too. Oh, it's extremely uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to think about. They um, might not ever see them again. Yeah, but I don't get too like wrapped up in that. Yeah. It's just it is what it is, and there's so many people to meet. Is. So like, yep. yeah, just replace, yeah. just replace you. No big deal. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. 
But uh, yeah, so let's jump into some Bluebell Jets. Bluebell Jets. Uh, yes. <laughs> I have to tell uh, I have to tell everybody, you know, 26 minutes in, you got to jump into this. Yes. So what advice do you have for the Blue Belt? Because it's the hardest and Dude. longest stretch ever. Yeah. So granted, I'm a Purple Belt. Woo! Um, you made it. I did make, well, yes and no. I mean, I made it past Blue Belt, but maybe my advice for Blue Belts is different as I keep training and, and getting better at jiu That's a good point. Yeah, fr- um, fresh purple belts, just like you're just kind of sitting in the reward zone of a blue yeah. belt almost. Yeah, I mean, I got it a year ago, but at the same time, it's like, you know, my per- basically what I was trying to say is just that my perspective now might change down the road. But like, we can, we can have an other- update if, if you sure. feel different. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, blue belt is a tough one, man. Um, you know, the gym that I trained at in Denver, High Altitude Martial Arts, they always post this like kind of meme thing where they always say um, they're like case of the missing blue belt where it's like someone trains super hard as a white belt and then all of a sudden they get their blue belt and then they stop showing up. Yeah. You know, um, it's tough. You got to be a blue belt for two years. And um, at the end of the day, it's like, what's the real reason that you're training jujitsu? I think is what Mm -hmm. it comes down to. You know, if you're in it for the belts, then it's going to be very difficult to make it past blue belt. Yeah. Um, It's easy to, to be into anything for a year, but it's a lot harder to stay with something for beyond a year if it's not something that you truly enjoy and love yeah i've noticed that and then also a thing that i've noticed was and it doesn't matter but it's just like it it probably goes through your head like you let the white belt tap you you know never exactly right (laughs) like never (laughs) like even when they got your arms straight out all the way and they could just get you with like a lock i mean unless you're letting them you know but I mean, I think, there's, but, but even if you're like kind of letting them kind of not, you know, like, uh, just kind of seeing where the role goes yeah, and you putting yourself into bad positions, then you get caught and you're like, I'm not letting this dude tap me. Yeah. There's <laughs> situations like that for sure. Um, it's, I mean, jujitsu is about keeping your ego in check. Right. But like, yeah. it's much easier said than done. Well, know? yeah. So like in that case, I would say I would have ego, but yeah. at the same time, if he like caught me, I would, I would, I would be competitively upset but i wouldn't yeah. like, go home and like cry about it yeah. yeah no for sure and then also you know if i felt really cool you know, yeah. just go roll with any purple belt and get destroyed real quick yeah <laughs> but i think you know the other thing with with being a white belt versus a blue belt i think to a certain extent it's almost harder to deal with a white belt than a new blue belt and the reason being is that white belts and when i say white belt i just generally mean like people who are new to jujitsu yeah um, people who are new to jujitsu that don't understand the fundamentals of the game do really unpredictable shit. That's what I was going to say. You just really have no idea what they're going to do. And they're very spazzy <laughs> and they use a lot of strength. And at the same time, like it's good to train with them from that perspective, because if you're ever in some sort of self-defense or street situation, yep. like the person you're fighting with almost guaranteed, they don't train jujitsu if they're the one that initiated it because they don't have that level of like humility and, and understanding that like, regardless of how somebody looks, there's people out there that could kick your ass. Yeah. Um, they do unpredictable things. Whereas like someone who's a, a pretty fresh blue belt or someone who's been training for a year or so, they're starting to learn the fundamentals of the game, but things aren't quite clicking at a rate fast enough to where they're going to say, like get out of an unadvent- unadvantageous situation with a purple belt or, or beyond, Yeah, you know? And so from that perspective, it's like, because as someone who's a higher belt, you're looking at the game through the lens of jujitsu, as opposed to like a street fight, it's a lot easier to shut down someone who's a, a blue belt, like a fresh blue belt, than someone who's a white belt. That makes a lot of sense too, because like I guess a fresh a fresh white belt, you know, it's almost kind of like riding a bull. You have like no idea where yeah, it's going to go. Pretty much. When you're a purple belt rolling with even a blue belt, 
it's almost like a bow constrictor. Very you know, controlled. You just slow. You just slowly take the game over. Yeah. And you just take them out. Yeah. And I've noticed that. That that and that's the toughest thing for me that I've noticed, and I'm trying to like get past is the. I'm comfortable now, but yep. I need to make myself uncomfortable again. For sure. In like different ways. So like, you could run around me no problem, and you know we're fighting in, in on my side, in split second probably. Now instead of just being comfortable because that happens all the time, I should probably just fight for getting back to just even a guard position. Yeah. And, um, it really started clicking over. It was just like, Hey man, it's, it's almost arguably just as lazy to just leave it, let that be, even though you're comfortable there, mm-hmm. then go after it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the things that really help, and I'll just speak like for what's worked for me personally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're um, all, we're all just shouting opinions yeah, here. We're all, we're all learning, you know, well, a 325 is... pound blue belt. There's not many of me around, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, th- what has worked for me personally when I was a blue belt and trying to get better were a couple of different things. So number one is like training all the time. Like that's the best way to get better at jujitsu yeah. is just to train consistently. It's literally like you're in a hibernation chamber. You yeah. just, it, the, it's astronomically yeah. increases your game. But number two, it's doing different things, you know? So it's like trying to use different moves. Like when I was a blue belt, armbar was my game. Like I would always, tr- even I could be on somebody's back and I would let them roll to the other side so that I could get an arm bar on their left arm. So that, that's the truth. So, that, okay, that is true because what I'm seeing is like I have one piece of my game yep. that works yep. and then everything else like just sucks. You just got to round it out, yeah. you know? And the only way to do that is by trying different things in the roles. Yeah. Um, number three is, and this is where probably a lot of people would disagree with me, but it's like, well, maybe some people would, some people wouldn't, but well, from a competition perspective, people would disagree with me on what I'm about to say, but um, an emphasis on position over submission. You know, a lot yes. of people get so hungry for that armbar that they forget they're on somebody's back or yeah. that they're in mount. And especially once you start transitioning the game to MMA or like combat jujitsu, being in mount is like one of the best places for you to be. Mm-hmm. You know, fucking armbar, just box their stay face there. Off. Yeah. yeah, stay yeah. there and control them. Or like neon belly, you know, might be a couple points in a tournament as opposed to a submission. Or if you're in a sub only tournament, then obviously the goal is to get a submission. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to, from my perspective, you really want to learn jujitsu. You got to understand the fundamentals to the most fundamental level possible. And that is what creates the basis for position before submission. That that's a tough piece for me because as a big dude, you don't have like this wide variety of things that, you know, get you from A to B quickly. Like for me, um, you know, if you have someone in like you're a neon belly and they do the like push away, fight away, yeah. and then you can spin around them to get the arm bar on the opposite side. Yeah. Um, that's not very easy for me. So like I'm the type of guy that will stay inside control and just kind of feel it out like mm-hmm. a little bit slower. And I always get in my own head. I'm so self-conscious. It's just like <laughs> I'm smashing this guy. Yeah. And I, like, I feel terrible for him. I was like, man, I should just really go for something. And then I probably forget about the fact that, you know, it's just important to fight off that good position and not let them take anything back. You yeah. Know? So yeah, belly too. Um, a place where I think that people, in my experience, where people make a lot of mistakes with neon belly, because they do try to do that push-off thing, but that doesn't really necessarily work as well if someone has you completely stapled to the ground, you know? Mm-hmm. And neon belly fundamentally is about control. Yeah. And when somebody's in side control, um, their way of getting out is getting on their side, yeah. right? And so, like, neon belly, the purpose of that should be to staple them to the mat, and your pressure should always be straight down. Like, that's another mistake that 
from my perspective, again, like as a someone who's new to instructing, a huge fundamental mistake that I see over and over again is that when people play top game, they're not thinking pressuring straight down. They're thinking pressuring in. So if someone's on their side, they're trying to pressure them back in as opposed to straight down, which is where you want them to be. Like you I, want their back pinned yeah, on the mat. Yeah. And when you're on bottom, you want to be on your side because that's how you can shrimp and start getting your hips out of the way. Yeah. So it's just little fundamental things like that. Like if that can be your first thought when you're on top of somebody or when you're in somebody's side, when you're in side control is mm-hmm. like get on a hip and start shrimping as opposed to like, let me do something crazy. That is going to take the game to the next level is focusing on the fundamentals. Because once you do those fundamentals, mm-hmm. it's the same thing with striking too. Like um, if someone's throwing a strike at you, like just countering with something basic, like a jab, as opposed to like a switch kick or like a, an elbow, focusing on the basics is what opens up the opportunities for the fancier shit. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, strike as well? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so I you... do, but not. I'm not nearly where I want to be. Now, are you striking more than you are doing jiu-jitsu at the moment or – at the moment, the yeah. Split, yeah. At the moment, yep, yep. Get I've dang. gotten a lot. I've gotten really into it recently. What I uh, love what, doing it. What got you into that one? Like, um, obviously, it looks compelling. Like, I get that piece of yeah. it. Like, it just because it's not. It's just standing chess instead of yes. on the ground chess. You That's know? a great way to think about it. Yeah. yeah, I think that what got me into it. I mean, taking a step back, the way that I got into jujitsu was that I wrestled pretty much my entire life, and I was by no means ever like an exceptional wrestler by mm-hmm. any means, but you know, I really love the sport and I enjoyed doing it, which is why I did it for like my entire childhood and even did it on the club team in college. And I wanted to find some way to continue that. And it was around that same time that I started getting into UFC. So it's like the logical next step was jujitsu, right? So like I get into jujitsu and the wrestling game translates pretty well, minus a couple things. Like the biggest difference is that in wrestling, being on your back is the worst position possible. Yeah. And being on your stomach is relatively safe, whereas in jujitsu, it's the complete opposite. Yep. You know, being on your back is relatively safe. Being on your stomach is the worst position possible. Um, and so looking at it then for, through an MMA lens where it's like, let's throw some gloves on and see. Because most fights start on the feet, mm-hmm. but most of them end on the ground. Yep. Right? And they're two very different worlds. Mm-hmm. And MMA is almost like the transition of like, how do you get somebody from their feet to their ground? Right? In like the most efficient and safe manner possible. Um, so I wanted to get into striking ever since I got into jujitsu. I just wasn't necessarily in a position to, uh, start doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really changed when I got to Boston It's really when I started training striking. And then since then, you know, one of my friends out there, um, one of my closest training partners, he fights amateur MMA, um, soon to be professional MMA for sure. And sparring with him has just kind of revealed to me, like, especially when we first started doing it, just how woefully inadequate my striking was and now having trained it for two years i'm almost positive that i want to fight mma really almost positive oh man i gotta get i gotta get a logo to put on your shorts (laughs) (laughs) um so like my i would love to train it yeah but i know like and i'm nervous about sparring and i know if i would train it i'm going to end up sparring because i know my brain and I know the competitive edge that I have. I got to try it. So, like, how bad does it suck to get bopped in the face? You get used to it? Like, what's, mean, what's the deal? So, to be completely honest, like, we spar in a super controlled manner. Like, the same way that we would spar jujitsu. Yeah, it's like a 65% or 50% yeah. punch. Yeah, we don't, yeah. we don't hit each other very hard at all. That's you know? good. Um, sometimes it happens. Oh, yeah. And you don't really think much of it when it's happening. Um 
I mean, yeah, it sucks. Getting hit sucks, but it's not, it's not by any means like it's part of the game, you know, yeah. like you don't you spar somebody. Yeah. yeah. You don't spar somebody and like, that's always like, it's so funny when someone will actually hit you and they'll say, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And it's like, we're fighting. That's the point is to hit the other person. Uh, that's that's actually what I like about jujitsu too, is that no, everyone's so nice. Yeah. That the minute you tweak something or you're like, ow, you're like, hey, yeah, you're good. Oh, okay, now I'm gonna come back yeah. to get you. Like after you submit your partner, you're always making sure they're okay. Yeah, yeah. Or if that that arm bar that you try to get like was a little too tweaky, you know. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, I'm just I would love to get into striking, but I, I have that little bit of fear of just because I also feel like it would be really good for me because it would additional like I would probably lose weight faster than that than jujitsu. Just the amount of uh, cardio's involved yeah. in that one as well. It's a lot more movement. Yeah, a lot more movement and like throwing hands tires you so fast. Yeah. I it does. I can't even imagine yeah. like the amount of rounds that you've put in. And then the <laughs> switch between the two, like once you start adding MMA, like that's the real cardiovascular intensive activity, you know, is the up and down. So do you fight in like a, a cage or whatever? Like, do you practice on like, like, uh, you know, someone pushes you up against a cage and all that? Um, not against a cage, but we do a lot of work on the walls yeah. against the walls. It's kind of the same thing. My, uh, my one buddy who trains like striking in MMA, mm-hmm. uh, he said that the fence hurts so bad. Yeah. I've never done it against the fence. Yeah, he's like you'd think that it wouldn't, but it's just like when someone's grinding you yeah. up against the fence, it's just not fun. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, but uh, so now, I guess you always kind of had like a humbling personality, even with wrestling, just getting like smushed over and over again, right? Because I was curious about, you know, what what changed from like your your personality of like before jujitsu and after. It's a great question. Um. It could I be think, nothing. No, it's definitely changed. I just want to make sure I'm giving you a, an intelligent answer. Um, wrestling is beyond the whole like being on your back being a bad thing. Um, wrestling also sort of has a different mentality and intensity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Jiu-jitsu is much more. So it's like if if wrestling is this could be characterized as like a warrior culture. You know, jujitsu is much more of like a philosopher's game. It's a very, it's a lot more technical. Like wrestling is technical for sure. Too, yeah, don't yeah, get me wrong, yeah, but it's yeah. a lot more of like, there's a little bit more testosterone involved, you know? Yes. Um, and I think that inherently brings a little bit more ego too. Yeah, it does for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's not to say that there's not jujitsu and or, um, ego in competitive jujitsu because there absolutely is. Gordon Ryan know? has ego, but yeah, he deserves no, it for sure. Yeah. Most of those guys <laughs> up there do. And, and like you said, they should. Um, but I think that, you know, it's also interesting how many engineers get attracted to jujitsu mm-hmm. because it's such a technical game. And like, it's a game where strength is frowned upon. Whereas in wrestling, that's definitely not the case. You know, wrestling strength is a great thing. And in, yeah. in jujitsu strength is a good thing too, but not when you're trying to understand techniques and implement them mm-hmm. efficiently. Um, so I think that from that perspective, to go back to your original question, definitely the humility side of things for sure. Um, wrestling, I never really felt super humbled by. Whereas in jujitsu, getting your ass kicked by a 12 year old when you first start training jujitsu or by someone a lot smaller than you is the most humbling thing ever. Yeah. And that's what I, I try to, I, I didn't. So I got bullied growing up, so I didn't really have much uh, of an ego in the first place. I mean, yeah. I, I went through like the asshole phase of a personality. Um, but going in to jiu-jitsu i i didn't have much but it definitely doubled it down even more yeah and uh 
it just kind of it's just kind of funny how that works you know i yeah. had i had a guy who was you know 150 pounds just immobilizing me mm-hmm. and i was like holy shit this is a whole different world yeah and then it uh, really is you know in, in the finance and accounting world so many you know just sticks just sticks at the keyboard and uh they they go why would you do this like why would you even try and i'm like you don't understand you know how you like to make an analytic like you may not like love it but you you enjoy making analytics to like get jobs done so you can get paid i go could mm-hmm. you imagine like just using your body and and you have an analytic problem of a person in front of you and they know everything that you know even maybe more and you have to try to you know beat them i go it's a con it's a game of just chess and i go you would love it like i tell everyone yeah. like don't ever hesitate going into it because, you, I mean, I guess the only reason you should hesitate is because you'll fall in love with it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you that's know? very true. Yeah, people catch the bug. I certainly caught the bug. Um, I think the other thing that jujitsu has really changed about me as a person is that, um, and it's it's related to ego and humility, but it's definitely confidence, you know? I was going to say the same thing. A lot of yep. confidence in the sense that it's like, I know that if I get in some sort of physical situation that I'm going to be able to be okay 99% of the time. Because, like, the people that are out there starting shit in the streets are not in the dojo training jiu-jitsu. No. You know, because they have that sort of ego. And there's a certain level of confidence that comes with bending, like getting put in these extreme physical situations and trying to defend yourself every day that it then becomes like a non-issue if you're out in one of those situations. Yep. Like those sorts of things happen. Um, and so that confidence is like something that I think is huge with that I didn't get from wrestling. You know, certainly I, I thought that I'd be able to defend myself but jujitsu took it to a whole nother level because instead of like pinning someone's back against the ground, you're controlling them and putting them in submission holds to where if they move or if they don't do whatever it is that you you want them to do, there's going to be physical consequences. Yep. But at the same time, the serious power in jujitsu is that when you get somebody to that point, you can still control somebody and not hurt them at all. You know, like mm-hmm. you could get somebody wrapped up in a rear naked choker in an arm bar and not hurt them. The You're classic uh, video is Matt Sarah with that drunk guy. Exactly. Yeah. He's just the sat there example. in the mountain. It's just like, all right, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Don't please don't do anything more to make yeah. me hurt you. you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. Conf- the confidence that I'm starting to gain and I have, you know, gained a little bit was mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, I was just this big guy that had nothing. And now I'm starting to realize, oh, you actually have like a skill that, is useful yeah in some sort of sense like so like i could kind of like walk around with my head held high like oh yeah you look at me and just see some fat guy but at the same time like i probably fuck you up or not just (laughs) i'm so humble in that area i'm like "Ah, i probably would still maybe lose but no way (laughs) but um but more of just like you know i do this thing that i can be proud of 100 percent. yeah which is cool 100 percent. and uh one of my uh one of my training partners in denver when i got my blue belt the first thing that he said to me was like, you now have something that money can't buy. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that always stuck with me because like you can't, you can't buy a blue belt. In, I mean, you could go online and buy one, but you can't get given a blue belt in jujitsu unless you've earned it. Yeah. And you know? uh, a funny story about that is, uh, so I was on an elevator going down leaving work and I was talking to one of like the directors and you know, I was like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm just going to go to jujitsu tonight and like hang out yep. and stuff. And he's like, Oh, I'm off to hockey. And he said, what's up to this <laughs> other guy that I knew um, like in passing, I did something for, but I didn't know very well. And, uh, he was like, Oh, like you like MMA. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I love UFC and stuff. Yep. And he's, and then I was like, yeah, I actually do jujitsu too. And like at night and he just goes, no fucking way. 
And like he's a high up level guy. I didn't expect him to swear and stuff. And just we got into this conversation, and then I was like, "Yeah, I just got promoted blue belt. It was pretty crazy." And Hell then, yeah! And he was just like, "Are you serious? Like you have a blue belt in jujitsu?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he just was like blown away by the fact that like you know just a normal guy off the streets could could achieve that. And I'm like, "Oh, I guess I For do. Sure. I guess I actually have like an alkali that 99 percent of people don't have, right?" You certainly do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of kind of neat. So then, did he go train with you? Huh? Did he go train with you? No, oh, no. Man. I would love to try to get um, some people like from yeah. from my work to go. This one yeah. girl said that she's been in a couple like situations recently. I'm sure that she's realized that you know she has nothing to defend herself, mm-hmm. you know, and she's tiny. So yeah. Um, and she was asking me like, you know, you do jiu-jitsu. What like mixed martial art do you think I would do? Jiu-jitsu. I should do. And I was like, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. And then she goes, well, I was thinking about taking kickboxing. I'm like, I go, let's just pretend I'm the aggressor attacker in this scenario. Mm-hmm. You got one leg kick. You think that that 115-pound leg kick, even how perfect it is to, to my body, is truly going to get me away from you if I want you. Exactly. The problem yeah. is the distance. You know, If you're a great kickboxer, then that's great. That'll help you. But the guy is trying to grab you and close the distance. So yeah. if you can't keep the distance, then it's not really going to be that effective. Yeah. You know? And Muay Thai would be better because, like, you get that kickboxing element, but you also get the point. clinch game. Good point, yeah. But even the clinch game, it's like... The person just picks you up and slams you. Yeah, you yeah. need to be able to control their posture, yeah. which if you're smaller, it's a lot harder to do. Yeah. And uh, that's why I told her is, is, like, hopefully she comes this week, is that, yeah. um, you know, the first thing you learn is if someone's mounting you and then uh, if yep. someone's in between your legs. That's two great scenarios that you could just learn that, you know, even if you don't like enjoyed as much as I do and you don't want to do it, mm-hmm. you can at least say that, Hey, I kind of remember this from this class yeah. I took five years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, this will be super beneficial if you even try the two free weeks. Yeah. So, and people do catch the bug because they realize how much power there is and like being able to defend yourself in that sort of situation. Oh yeah. And like, that's the thing that I wish I could articulate to her is that, uh, you know, the minute you beat a guy in jujitsu, like that has to be, like the most Addicting. fulfilling thing because yeah. you know as a girl you're just put into this box of like petite and like weak and stuff and yeah if you could just choke a guy it's just like there's a lot of girls that i've trained with that would kick a lot of people's asses myself included oh yeah you know oh yeah <laughs> they're out there i i don't want part any part of what gina oh man oh yeah she, yeah she's a yeah she's super good catch her on the streets and she like she'd flip my ass yeah because yeah, i think she's a uh, close to a black belt in judo too right I'm not 100% sure, but I, I know so. that, yeah, she's she's really good. Terrifying. Um, but yeah, man, like with jujitsu too, like especially people starting it, it literally breaks my heart when somebody tells me that like they're scared to start jujitsu because they've never done it before. And it's like, well, everybody's in that same boat. Like yeah. there was a point where you and I had never done jujitsu. I was going to say- like, We um, were scared too, right? When someone says that, send them a picture of me. Like send them to my Instagram. It's open. Yeah. Because, you know- I had to, I didn't work out for a decade and I Mm -hmm. was miserable. And then one day I I was just like, I want to try something. I want to go do something. And I I had to walk into that gym and exactly. And they go, okay, front roll. And you're like, wait, what, what? Yeah. No, yeah, or no, no, like not. What is that? Like, I can't can't do that. that. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, you can. And then you go, holy shit, I can. And then it just keeps like, I can't. My left side's still terrible, but uh, yeah, like even going over your back, like it's just crazy. Like yeah. the fact that you know you can do things, and 
Yeah, man. I think it's like a lot of things in life where the hardest part is just getting started, you know? And once you can overcome that sort of initial inertia, um, and, and humble yourself and and get into the gym and start, then that's when people fall in love with it. And the thing is too, is that like a lot of people think that it's always interesting to look psychologically at like the difference between the, the environment in like a traditional gym versus like a jujitsu gym or a martial arts gym yeah where you would expect that the egos in the jujitsu gym are just huge right because like we're in there fighting but in a traditional gym the egos are always way bigger yeah. you know yeah um in a jujitsu gym it's like you walk in everybody's like hey what's up man like how's how's it going oh it's the greatest the community. coolest people ever <laughs> but in a traditional gym i saw this like two weeks ago i saw these two guys almost get into a fight over like re-racking weights you know and I'm just like, man, that's so interesting how that works where you have people that are actually fighting on the one hand that are way more humble than people that have no idea how to fight. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like that's why these people are the ones that are out there that start problems in public because they don't have that sort of humbling experience of getting submitted by Did, people that are smaller than have them. Have you had any fighting scenarios outside of the gym since you started? No. Got lucky. No, I've yeah. never been in any sort of street fight. Um come close a couple times so scary though right like yeah. I, i'm absolutely terrified of a street yeah fight. yeah i mean it it is scary when things get physical and i think that the best simulation of that is like competition you know mm-hmm. where the response that you get is the fight or flight and you have to re- rely and default to what you've been trained to do where in a competition if you're nervous going into it which most people are myself included you know you have to, you can't really think. You just kind of have to do what you've been trained to do because like in the training room, when there's no pressure, you have the freedom to think and try different things. Mm-hmm. But in a competition setting, you have to default to what you know how to do. Yeah, you're not gonna try something on a, yeah. on a whim. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So have you competed a lot? Yeah, Yeah. quite a bit, yeah. Yeah, you're the beast, yeah. huh? Uh, well, Definitely not, definitely not. Definitely haven't competed enough and we'll start doing it a lot more in the future now have you done uh worlds or any sort of like the ibjjf stuff or just like local just local stuff oh, okay cool. yeah i definitely want to get to that point but just hasn't happened yet yeah, yeah i mean it's been a terrible year for about anything yeah the rock has covid now we're done does he really yeah him and wow <laughs> here's a good one um so everyone found out that or everyone in the rocks family realized they had covid when they couldn't smell what he was cooking wow get the joke no. <laughs> Did you watch WWE? <laughs> no. Oh, so his so his uh, big thing was like, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? And then like the music would break, and he walk out. Man, you need oh, to go wow. back and listen. Like, I guess so. Oh, yeah. That, I man, didn't realize what I was missing. Ripped a good one. I need found, to add it to my a, list, man. Uh, add it to my list. Yeah, but The Rock was. He, I mean, he was like the biggest uh, wrestling yeah. star, and yeah. then yeah. he had so many great sayings and stuff. Yeah, and then yeah. Great memes. Now he's giving out BMF belts. That was cool to see. I was in the same building as The Rock, Donald Trump, and that fight. Yep. I, I can at least say that. Um, I, I was – it was crazy the amount of booing that was there for Trump. Not surprised, but, yeah. like, crazy just because, uh, like, he he doesn't care and he can't – he probably can't hear whatever you're yelling because someone yell da, 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 boo and like i'm yeah. in the nosebleeds it's like yeah he exactly heard what you said mm-hmm. about him yeah he also has had an interesting relationship with the ufc for a long time where 
Dana White and him have been boys for a long time, like since Dana White was originally getting started with the UFC back in the late 90s. Did you see uh, what Dana White's doing for that guy in Iran? I did, yeah. Yeah, and he was just like, I called up the president, and like, they have that relationship, I bet. I bet it wasn't very hard to get a hold of Trump, you know? Yeah, I mean, there was a point, I mean, at one point, Atlantic City was kind of the boxing hub of the world. Yeah. And Dana White, who's someone who knew that he wanted to be a fight promoter for a long time, like, a lot of times he would have events at Trump's casinos. Um, And so, yeah, it's very, it's just interesting, like... Dana White is someone from a business perspective that I have so much respect and admiration for and that I look up to. How fun of a job would that be? It'd be the best job in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah, actually one of my like underlying goals that I have, my buddy and I like, kind of made a pact that we would fly out to uh, the West Coast and go uh, go like through uh, testing to become a judge for MMA. Word. That And it's like, it's like five grand. That's it? And, like, Herb Dean takes you through, like, a three-day thing. No shit. And, like, you get certified through Herb. Wow. Like, the commissions will, like, recognize that. Like, it's not, like, a college degree, but it's, like, good to have just, like, that you say you did because – and then uh, McCarthy does one, too. Yeah. And Also, uh, like, the judges there seem like they're trash. Yeah, so I looked up how to get into the judging scene, and it's super difficult. And, like, it I takes a it. ton of time. So it's just, yeah, like – I believe it. I kind of just want to do it for fun. You know, if I could just – you know, be able to sit ringside at uh, yeah. fight in Pittsburgh. That'd be yeah, just so do local cool. events. Oh, it'd be so much yeah. fun. And then you know, who knows? Maybe my like, I'm I'm actually more of a fan of a ten eight these days. So I yep. probably wouldn't be the best judge. Who did you take in a uh, Holloway Volkanovski two? Oh, I have to go back and watch it. Who? How did I feel in the first one? How did I feel? How did I feel? The first one, I think, I think um, Alex won for sure. Yeah, but I yeah. think the second one, I definitely would have given that to Hallway. I think I was I, genuinely shocked that they didn't. I think, I think my feelings are aligning with you right now. I, I'd have to go back and watch it just because I watched so many fights. Yeah, these days they don't stick as well because there's so yeah, many. It just there stinks. are. Yeah, it's a good um, problem to have. Yeah, yeah. It's not UFC like, on like every weekend. It's amazing. Yeah. When did you start watching it? Like 2015. Yeah. End of 2015. So I started watching it in like 2012, and I mean, you you were in that era too, though, where like. It was once a month. Yep. And you waited all month to yep. watch that one card of just stacked, scary people. <laughs> yeah. And uh, nowadays, yeah, we're blessed, but at the same time, it kind of stinks just because you can't keep up anymore. Yeah. Like we, we used to know everybody and who they fought, like the last five mm-hmm. fights. Now it's, I think he fought this guy this one time. And there was that sort of in-between stage, too, where they were having the fights every other weekend on FS1 mm-hmm. or like on Fox. Yeah. Um. But dude, honestly, I like the setup that they have now. I love watching the fights whenever I can. You know. Oh and yeah, I'm. A, I mean, I'm a fan. Like yeah. if they're on, I I'm gonna. Tune For sure. In. Now I'm stuck on the NBA. I'm actually really enjoying basketball. Really. Which I could. I've never really gotten into the NBA. So. The general consensus is that you know it looks too easy, and then they are also too ticky tacky on the fouls, so it just doesn't look fun, in theory. But if you go back to, like, the 90s basketball and, like, compare it to now, yeah, they're a little more ticky-tacky on the fouls, just a little bit. And, like, they have they tr- they travel a little bit, but that's because of this new thing called, like, a, a gather step. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure, I'm assuming you played basketball, so, you know, you can't, like, take two steps or three I steps. I like a fifth you, grader, yeah, I yeah. played basketball. <laughs> you can, like, travel or whatever with yeah. the ball. Well, there's, like, this little gather thing that they do, like, when they move their hand over, and that they can take a step during that and then take two steps. Mm. So when it comes to a high-level professional athlete taking those steps, it looks like they're, like, 
walking on water a thousand yeah. like a thousand feet and uh yeah it's not a travel but uh also you know people are scoring the teams are scoring 150 points a game wow it's unheard of so then how does it work living in so i'm assuming like are you a pittsburgh sports fan <sighs> well fight watching fighting really ruined any sort of like uh affiliation affiliation because yeah. i really like my favorite <laughs> fighter of all times anthony pettis like nice. just favorite yeah and because uh, I watched them all come up, I watched them on a World yep. of Jenks. You remember that? No. It was a show on MTV where this guy named Jenks would go around and like talk to people about certain things, and it was kind of like true life. But I'm gonna follow this guy around. Yeah. And uh, it was like I want to be a fighter, and it was Anthony Pettis. No shit. Yeah. So like I that's knew super cool, and I watched that episode because it was on reruns like two or yeah. three times. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I'm glad he won. Like his like I learned about his family and stuff, and then. Uh, you know, as soon as he got to the UFC and I figured out he was still fighting and made it professionally, I was just like, oh, shit, Like this is my guy. Yeah. And uh, he was tearing it up. There. I mean, he still does tear it up, but. he, He's not. He's far from bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For like, sure. I think he lost like four or five in a row one time. Yeah. But and someone was like, yeah, he's like cooked. And I'm like, uh, he's fought all the top tenders. Yeah. Like, what do you want him the to best do? Best. Yeah. Yep. It's the most competitive shit of all time. Yeah. And it's not like he had a tune up fight where he won. Like he, yeah. had, all the wins he got, he had to earn too. And he just know? fought, he just fought Cerrone, right? That was the most recent fight. I think it was a uh, co-main or, yeah, he looked really good in that fight. Yeah. And I mean, Donald Cerrone is no joke. No, you know, his striking is super legit. Donald, Donald Cerrone said that he doesn't strike anymore. Yeah, He doesn't spar. He doesn't spar because, he doesn't spar. because yeah. he's just like, I'm so good at it that, you know, it's not going to go away. I know yeah. how to throw a punch, though. Yeah. And I was like, that's really smart because I yeah. think he's going to have really bad CD when he's done. That's the scary thing about MMA, man, is like it hasn't been around long enough for people to really understand what the longer-term impacts are. But Yeah, he told Rogan uh, he passed out in his bathroom or something like that and, like, woke up. And wow. I was like, holy shit. And that was because, you know, CTE, like the early onset stuff. Really? And, he st- and that was, like, seven fights ago. Wow. Donald, please just hang it up and you know get a show on MTV called like you know BMF Ranch. Like I, <laughs> I would love to watch it. Yeah, it it because he's an entertaining guy. Yeah, you know he just does he crazy is. stuff. Yeah. Um, before Paul Felder got big, he came love to Pittsburgh. Paul Felder. Yeah, he's the man. Yeah. Uh, when the UFC was in Pittsburgh, they had Sage Northcutt and Eddie Alvarez that you could meet, and all Paul Felder, Felder was standing by himself. Oh no one God. knew who Such he was. Such a shame, man. So me and my buddy got out of the line because the line was super long, and yep. we just were like, "Hey, Paulie, like, what's going on?" And we sat there and talked to him for like fifteen. That's 20 amazing, minutes. dude. It was the I've best. Been a fan yeah. of him for a long time. Yeah, and that was when he was at the ranch, and we were talking. Yep. I was like, "So, like, what's like Cerrone like?" And he's like, "Dude, it's so crazy. You know, we'll we'll just fight, and then you know, then we're gonna go shoot shotguns, and then we're gonna ride dirt bikes, and then we're gonna spar again." It's Sounds just, awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, like, that'd be so much fun. He's like, "Sounds it's, like a lot of fun. It's a lot." <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was one of the cooler people to meet. Uh, that's also a great part about going to UFC events. I don't know if you've ever been to one. Not to a UFC event. You got you to go. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I was super close to meeting John Cavanaugh once, who's like, uh, see, he's Conor McGregor's yeah, head yeah. coach. Yep, yep. He, to me, is like the most interesting person in the entire UFC game. Why um, is that? So, number one, he grew up, well, so he studied mechanical engineering. So, right away, like, All that right. part yeah, resonates yeah. with me. Yeah. But he also was like 19, I think, when UFC started. And after watching Hoist Gracie take down people and choke him out, he became obsessive over jujitsu mm-hmm. at a time when like it didn't even really exist outside of you know some of the major um, major areas around the U.S. and Brazil and everything everything else or like in England. Yeah. 
and he like didn't pursue his degree um didn't try to get a real job literally just started straight blast gym. well not straight blast gym but he started his gym out of his shed and everyone told him that he was crazy and there were times where he was like threatened with eviction because as he started getting different fighters and scaling up um you know this guy was going to england and sleeping on mats just like attend seminars spending all the money they had to go attend seminars yeah then you look at what he's accomplished in just that short amount of time like it's amazing and he just never listened to anybody telling him that he was crazy that's the thing that I've noticed because I've been really trying to. So I started going to therapy in like June. Nice. And it's like the shit. I've never yeah. been more clear. It's That's crazy. Great, man. Yeah. No meds. Nothing. Just That's great. Just breaking down like where I catch myself. Yeah. And um, that's one thing I've noticed about like people that are great is that you know if they have an idea or a dream, they will do anything that they can to achieve it. And if anyone tells them they're crazy, they're like, well, fuck you. Yeah. Like, one of my favorite people, my favorite person of all time is Kanye. Like, f- famous person. Dude, I'm a huge fan. Yes. He's the man. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. Like, he, the only thing that makes me feel bad for him is that he's been famous and then, like, for so long. And then when you add manic bipolar episodes, mm-hmm. like, this is exactly what happens to someone in that situation. Yeah. Like, I'm not surprised. Yeah. And everyone's like, he's crazy. I'm like, yeah. Have you ever seen anyone with bipolar problems? It's fucking hard. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the fame and the pressure just amplifies whatever sort of symptoms he's experiencing, I'd I'd imagine. Yeah, and then he's articulated multiple times that he's like, like, he is crazy. And then he goes, name Mm -hmm. one genius that isn't crazy. Exactly, yeah. I think it was Michael Jordan that said, without madness, there is no greatness. Maybe it it was Michael, maybe it it wasn't, but that's one of my favorite quotes of all time. I threw like half of it. Amazing. Right? Amazing. He's that's like that's my favorite athlete of all time. Like I love mm-hmm. MJ so much. Oh. Yeah. And actually watching Last Dance, I'm gonna have to watch it again. It inspired me so much. Like, yep. I don't know how it does inspire anyone to go do what they want to do. That's why I'm a huge fan of Connor too. Yeah. You know, like the, the only thing with him is like it was, and which is fine, but it wasn't so much about the sport. It was just like how can I make as much money as possible as fast as possible. Yeah, I think we're. Where I got tripped up with Connor a little bit was the whole, like, punching that dude in the bar, like, the older guy in the bar. Did you ever see that? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah, but when you're all coked out, I mean, <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, but, like, just his charisma and his attitude and his confidence is something that, like, is so inspiring, you know? Yeah, I, I would say I liked, I, I like, if, if we had to say Connor, MJ, and Kanye, it's just, like, three examples, because they all have different types of confidence. Yeah. I think MJ confidence is, like, my favorite, yeah. because it's, like, it was all, like, internalized confidence. For sure. You know, he just had to keep building himself up, and then, or, like, breaking himself down, and then, like, making that competitive edge. Did you get to any episodes where they, they discussed, like, uh, the stories about, how, oh, you know, someone pissed off MJ the night before, and then when they mm-hmm. played him again? Yep. Did you see the one where like he they flat out said that he the he the guy never said anything to him and that he yep. made it up? He made it like, up. Like yep. that yep. shit. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's like whatever it takes to make you go play your best game, you need yep. to do. And whatever it takes, man. I uh I love that. Yeah. He's uh, he's the man. Yeah. The only thing I really felt bad and that is probably a consequence of success was when they and you, I don't think you got to this point yet, but I saw a clip on ESPN even before I got to the episode. Was uh, they said that his he wasn't a good teammate, right? You know, he's like we weren't friends. Like, like 
if if I I wanted to win as many championships as possible, if I had to carry you along and force you to be a better player, even though you hated me, I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. So like, all, they had all these other like players on his team saying like, yeah, he wasn't like a nice guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't fun to practice with. Like it was always business and like. Yep. And you could tell. Uh, I have to show you the clip because MJ. MJ was talking about it and you could see him get choked up about it. like, that's one of the, his regrets was yeah. that like, you know, he wasn't the, the, you know, all loving person. Yeah. You know, like, like Kobe, that was his thing for sure. Was like, he had that mama mentality. And then also he was more than happy to like force, like help anyone get better. Yeah. Yeah. Hard be Kobe, man. Yeah. Rest in peace, man. Have you, uh, terrible. have you looked into Kobe's mentality at all? Not you don't man. watch like basketball. I said, yeah, so, yeah. I've never really been a huge fan of basketball. There's like a couple. I think the, his his like short book, and it's for basketball players, but yeah. it's probably a really good read regardless. I'm I think sure. it's like seven bucks called Mama Mentality. Wow. I definitely think you should get it because yeah. it's interesting. He would uh, he would work out like four times a day. It's awesome. But also be able to hang out with his family. So he'd like wake it's up, awesome. work out, hang out with his kids, go work out again like his kids would come home work out again. And then yep. he said where he really started to excel was when he started midnight workouts, which I don't know where he slept. <laughs> Cause then he was like, yeah, I also watched everyone's game film. Not yep. ev- like that. I was kind of, was going to play? So I knew exactly what they were going to do during the games. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, when, like, how do you have that fortitude to like not sleep and get through everything and then play at the highest level? Just like being obsessed, did. being yeah. obsessed with greatness, man. Yeah. Uh, Being obsessed for greatness. That's why it was there. Yep. Yeah. It's funny how that works. Yeah. And no other, isn't it interesting too? Like there's no other, like there's greatest professional athletes, but when it comes to just basketball, there's the two that you can go, oh, that, like those are, those supersede probably any other sport too. Like, like who yeah. do you put next to MJ that, that had that crazy mentality? I don't know baseball no well enough. Yeah. And then football, like, Tom Brady. You have Brady, but the same, like, who was, will, you know, he definitely put the work in. Yeah. And he's definitely competitive. And he's a crazy competitor. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it, it just doesn't feel it's the just same. different. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, just different. Yeah. I feel like the other thing, too, is that, I mean, they're both team sports, right? But I think football is almost like even more of a team sport, right? Because, more like, people on the field. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. anytime Tom Brady throws a pass, there's someone that has to catch it. Or, like, anytime he hands it off he's giving the ball to somebody else so like whereas with basketball and i'm just speculating i'm talking strictly out of my ass you know they're you. shooting right like oh yeah they have full control the one that's shooting yeah if they decide to shoot the ball it can go in and they can yeah. score yeah 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 so i don't know maybe that's part of it that, i think that's true i think yeah. that there's a piece of that that can maybe like kind of mask the fact that like yeah. tom brady's probably just in the in the argument yeah uh, and probably most athletes are but like when you like i like uh I have a weird infatuation with like BMX and like skateboarding too. That's cool. Yeah. And uh watching those guys like completely eat shit and you'd think that they would have something broken, get up and do it again. <laughs> like I watch I watched this one guy so there's a there was a show on Vice called King of the Road. Okay. And uh I don't know how much you're into skateboarding, but uh ask Craig Hannah. I like it. He it's knows. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Dude, Craig takes some awesome pictures, man. Shout out to Craig. Yeah, Craig actually started a uh, uh, BMX. Great too. Yeah, yeah. He started a BMX company. Did you see that? No, I didn't. That's awesome. His though. bikes are cool as shit. Wow. Yeah, I, I need to get one. I, I bet they're like three hundred dollars though, and I don't ride. A, I'm not gonna ride a BMX bike. Be pretty gangster. <laughs> yeah, just pedal around. 
flick off kids. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, so what was I gonna say? Oh, so yeah, there's a magazine called Thrasher. That's like the skateboarding magazine, mm-hmm. and they would have this thing called King of the Road, where they would get three different skateboarding teams and vans, and they would give them a book, and then whoever was able to complete everything with a camera crew would get the points and stuff. Interesting. Yeah, and obviously there's a bunch of other fucked up shit, kind of like jackass in it. But like, you know, a lot of the tricks were super hard. And this one dude had to like ollie a, a like a twelve stair, and he was like the the guy on the team that could do it. And like he f- he missed it, missed it, and then uh, like the third time he like broke his ankle. Oh my god. Yeah, and he's just sitting there. He's like, or it wasn't like broken, but it was like so swollen. He's yeah. like, well, I'm out for days. So then they were like, well, we can't add anyone to the team right now. So like, we're gonna lose out on points. Our 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 ollie guy who can do the steps is gone. And then this one guy was like, let me try it. So he starts eating shit, wow. and then he eventually does it. I'm like, that type of like get up and do it again is just it's amazing. It, uh, yeah, it's amazing, and that's why they make a ton of money. Yeah, and I mean, sports is like the easiest way to visualize that because you can see it very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of analogs to the business world or to even our personal lives on how that works. You know, like in our personal lives and our professional lives, we're eating shit all the time, right? Yeah, and so it's a matter of like you know, getting back on the metaphorical skateboard or getting back on the horse and getting up and being unafraid to do it again. I was thinking that too. Like I was just about to say that I feel like in corporate world or any job like mm-hmm. outside of sports, um, it's easier to get stuck. For sure. Just because, you know, the, the minute you make the NBA, you're a millionaire. You know, and so like life is forever changed. But then at the same time, I guess the risk and reward is a lot easier on our end because, you know, you can transfer jobs and stuff. You can't it, like if you want to make the NBA, you can go to Europe, but it's it's way it's like what ten percent probably of what you get paid if you're in the NBA. So, I guess it's all kind of relative in some yeah. sort of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It hmm. Yeah. Well. I'm good. You good? Good, you brother. More, did I miss anything you wanted to spill about your your biz? Um, no, I think that's it, man. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to me, um, I guess you'll probably put my contact information or, or my Instagram. Yeah, or whatever but you can the, just say it too if you want. Yeah, sure. Uh, at Instagram, I'm Carson underscore Hess C R S O C A R S O N underscore H E S S. Um, catch me on LinkedIn. That's probably where I spend most of my time during the day for sales and business development. Woo. Um www.developmentai.net is where our business is. Don't go to .com. I did that. Yeah, don't go to .com. We haven't bought that domain yet. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if anyone wants to learn more about anything that I do, you know, I'm always happy to talk with anybody and try to see if there's anything I can do to help them. So, Awesome. Um, yeah, thanks so much for having me hey, on. Thanks for, thanks for coming, man. It's the first one. So hope Amazing. you all enjoy Rit Talk. I'll talk to you all <laughs> later, man.